I'm at the Brewers table with Jake Maddox, Drew Durish. Uh, you guys have one of the coolest hangar brewery restaurants in the city. You were just telling me you've got a, a bunch of awards lined up already that you're winning this year. How's it, how's it going? We are one of the finest hangar breweries in town. <laughs> of two? Of of two. <laughs> we're, we're, we're both pretty good. Well, uh, uh, oh, go ahead. I just said good morning. Uh, welcome. <laughs> good morning. Well, thanks for having me. I know it's uh, you guys are both very busy. What are you? You're you're transferring three beers right now? Yeah, we are trying to move the entire brewery from one side of the building to the other at this point, basically. So <laughs> beers back and forth for sure. Literally through like pipes and tubes. Tubes. But Drew is very organized. He has a an octopus looking. Set of of hoses and tubes in there, and and uh, everything moves very smoothly, you know, without infection, all very cleanly. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and y'all both have uh, history before this brewing, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Where'd y'all start? Go ahead, Drew. Oh, uh, my got to cu- I got to cut my chops over at Live Oak Brewing Company, uh, which is a stone's throw away. The original location was just down the street on Fifth Street over here, and then secondarily they moved over to a new one across from the airport. Uh, which was an incredible transition to see. Uh, 1.0, as it's referred to, was <laughs> something of a dungeon. Uh, it actually was an old meat processing facility, and 2.0 was actually meant to be a brewery. So kind of night and day as far as seeing how to brew uh, from as manual as possible to fairly automated. So uh, yeah, it was that, a hell of a transition. That new building is amazing. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's, yeah, And those live oaks and all that. Mm-hmm. Although you got some pretty good views over here. Ain't bad. And Jake, you started on the West Coast, right? Yeah, I got... Um, I worked in Napa Valley for a, a winery called Nickel and Nickel before the opportunity came to move into Oakland and work at Anchor Brewing Company in San Francisco. And uh, that was an amazing experience. And then um, got the uh, brief opportunity to be a part of New Belgium before moving to Austin in 2010 to uh, help a, a friend open Thirsty Planet Brewing Company, which is... Uh, was the 11th brewery in Texas at the time, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, nine, OG. Year, nine years ago, and uh, and now the brewer's table is like the 273rd or something like that in that <laughs> nine-year stretch. And there's another one getting built nearby. You said, yeah, you just, will uh, hear the construction. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of a cool. You, you you did kind of this like West Coast mountains, and now you're kind of in the the desert with us. <clears throat> Uh, Austin is a really amazing town to be able to be in this community. Uh, the, the beer scene's really tight, the food scene's really tight, and everything's uh, competitive but cooperative. And uh, the, the list of ingredients we have are like endless and yeah, really fun give, place. Give us some examples. Oh man, uh, let's see. Uh, one of the beers that Drew's doing the second batch of right now is called Beats by Drew. And uh, <laughs> no puns. That's amazing. <laughs> no puns allowed. <laughs> uh, and it's a beet and mint lager, which um, is kind of a, a fun like combination of, of. I think maybe that was inspired by those beet fries at East Side King. Was that right? Yeah, yeah. It was the East Side King. I always loved how they did the uh, the fried beets and mint on there. And uh, so we thought, well, might as well kind of incorporate that and transition it into a beer. Uh, so that one was the that that was the very first beer we actually brewed here. Funny enough. Uh, and again, I swore I wouldn't do puns, and 
that was the very first beer that we did here. <laughs> so, uh, and then currently uh, this week we're going to brew uh, Made in the Nightshade, which was basil, several different basil varieties and green tomatoes. Uh, the season is upon us, and I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, we did one with uh, Carolina Gold Rice, some blue oyster mushrooms, and shiitake mushrooms. Wow. Uh, and it just kind of keeps adding up. The each, you know, now that we're coming upon one year, it's really cool to to kind of see what we brewed over the previous year. Uh, see how we can kind of get a jump start on it because a lot of it is you know thinking eight weeks ahead if you're going to make these lagers where which point do you want to add the ingredient and what will be in season then so kind of making use of a larder or just making use of when in the process to incorporate it and for those who don't know a larder is uh, basically a storage for uh, long-term preservation uh, for fermentation uh, I don't know what the specific definition is, but my understanding of it is, uh, you know, cool, dry storage for preservation of ingredients throughout the seasons, throughout the year. Well, and you guys have an awesome refrigerated room with some, are they are they considered custom fermenters or? Basically, yes. Yeah. I mean, so those are fooders and there's the kind of size designation where a barrel becomes a fooder. I think it's technically like 500 liters, but there's a little bit of wiggle room there. Uh, but we have a room set to, uh, it sits right now at about 48 degrees. In the middle of summer, that's a, <laughs> it's a little bit higher, but yeah. uh, it, it constantly battles the elements. But uh, we've done, all our beers go through the wood, uh, and it's American oak. And I've got this shirt on right now, but the Fooder Crafters, based out of St. Louis, was the one who made them. Uh, they came down, they helped install them, and they are hilarious. So and they know what they do. They're, the, they're kind of this oval shape. Is that just kind of traditional, or...? Uh, I mean, it's just one of the formats. Some of you know, we have some of the standards, but we also have the ovals, and the ovals are very nice for us because, especially with doing these loggers and the longer term, but also the delicate nature of them, uh, it's nice to have that kind of reduced surface area as opposed to if you have a standard just circular a, uh, a cylinder, then you have a little bit more exposure to O2, so a little more staling at a quicker rate, but everything's controlled and keep it kept to a minimum. Fooders nice. are so fascinating to me like I, I really love that we get to have a brewery that that uses these fooders every day um as i was sort of envisioning what i wanted this experience to be like i was kind of picturing a 19th century brewery or like a 17th century brewery anything prior to what stainless steel had, uh, did to, to brewing and so everything would have been done in wood for the most part and uh, i kind of pictured like this farmhouse sort of restaurant and brewery uh with the perfect weather year round where it would never get too hot and you could just leave beer you know it would lager but not sour uh using ingredients out of what you had around you like when you had it uh and drew much to his credit uh like uh, no one has done as far as i know a setup like we have here and so the curveball when you not only open a new brewery in a new space with new utilities and all that kind of stuff that goes in with, into the infrastructure of it but then add in the curveball of just like all this different entirely different method of fermenting uh and and uh we've only had one batch of beer go bad nice it wasn't my fault it was not his fault though. <laughs> <laughs> well and and you got to go from kind of a, a structure the you know the true consistent large-scale brewing to kind of the mad scientist let's let's throw some things in a room and see what we can create right oh for sure i mean the the weirdest transition for sure is coming especially from live oak where it was all about the traditional aspects of yeah. things and very, very minimal use of ingredients. And I love that. I, I love knowing you had to start with a clean base beer. And so getting to experience that, to know that you have to execute the simplest things the best before you can move on to the wackier stuff. And at least with, with the head full of confidence. So it, it was everything against my nature to brew some of the beers that we've been brewing. 
because it doesn't make sense. <laughs> like half of it is like, yeah, throw the food in there. Why not? Put some milk powder in there. Sure. Toasted milk powder. Yeah. And, uh, and you know. Is that like malt or? No, it was a, a non-fat milk solids. Nice. You toast them and it creates this incredible aromatic, like almost, you know, cinnamon, toasty character. Uh, and then we ended up dissolving that and adding it into a beer. Uh, I know a lot of people use lactose, of course. Uh, those milk sugars are unfermentable. Right. But this is a new way to get some flavors in addition to some, you know, residual sweetness left in the beer. So it's it's been it's been a wild ride, and again, I, I'm I'm honored to have come from Live Oak and to get to experience the opposite end of the spectrum as far as uh, continuing learning about brewing and and all the the weird many facets. Well, and I personally, as someone who comes from, uh, I grew up in northern New York, almost Canada. I I miss the lagers. You know, that's one thing that when all these breweries blew up. You didn't see a lot of loggers and pilsners. You didn't see that end of the spectrum, and you guys have the perfect room for it. You're creating beautiful, refreshing beers, and it's just a, uh, it's something that's missing. And is it? Do you think it's just the time or the temperature is why people don't brew as many loggers? Well, I mean, fortunately, Austin is a logger town. I think that we've been ahead of the curve for sure for, for quite a while now. I mean, again, the fact that Live Oak has existed since 1997, and then the alumni from Live Oak have gone on. Uh, you have ABGB. Uh, that crew as well, who's just been killing the yeah, logger game. They make game. a great pilsner. Oh my god, it's incredible. And I mean, there's no coincidence why they've won, you know, best brew pub of the year three years in a row at, at GABF. And so, I think it, it's been ripe for a while. And I think the heat has something to do with it for sure. And so, it's I, I know that anyone who wants to go down to the river, wants to go swimming, you need something light, crushable uh, that's not going to destroy you. And and while we have quite the breadth of styles that people are doing incredibly well around here. I think the, the lager game has been, a, again, a little bit ahead of the curve as far as the country is concerned. Yeah, sure. It goes back even in the 19th century and all the German brewers that came out here to, uh, I mean, Texas is, yeah. is like Shiner. lager central. Didn't, isn't there a, an old lagering basement under Lambert's? That's right. That's one of the, an old yeah. brewery here in town. That was their uh, cellaring and now it's their private dining room. Super yeah, rad. I read about that. I still haven't been in it, but maybe you guys know someone who can get me in there. Yeah, check it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so... That's just the beginning of, you know, you, you guys make amazing beers. You got a ton of delicious taps in there. But right behind me is a is a pit that's cooking some Texas barbecue. And you also have a hearth in the middle of the restaurant. So did did the beer come first? Did the restaurant come first? How did you get here? Well, uh, they both sort of very purposefully uh, wanted to be simultaneous, or not simultaneous, but simultaneous, maybe is a better word for it. Um, <laughs> So, be, like, beer is liquid bread, right? Uh, that very basic statement that's been said for millennia, well, if that's true, there's got to be solid beer, you know? There has to be a reverse and inverse to it, you know? And so, like, I wanted to very much have a beer and food experience. Uh, it's difficult because, you know, the margins on food aren't great. Uh, and, you know, being, having being a compelling restaurant is, uh, is a very challenging thing sometimes. But, you know, that's the path we wanted to forge forward on, and, and I'm really happy with it. Um, so it was never any disagreement about if, if we'd have beer and food. It was going to be beer and food. So then, then, like, how do you make those two things really interesting? And so uh, to, to me, it's kind of a layers of an onion. Uh, the top layer is wood and its influence on food and drink. And so we have uh, a beautiful seven-foot-wide wood hearth that everything is pretty much cooked over, and so wood gets its uh, flavor there. And then we ferment our beer in wooden fooders. And so you have wood and its impact on food and drink. And then the, the, the layer of the onion deeper than that is how beer is food and food is beer. And so if you take ingredients, methods, and byproducts in one system and you incorporate them in the other, 
you not only maximize creativity, but you minimize waste at the same time. And so it, it's it's a, a good creative decision and a good business decision and a good environmental decision to, to cross-utilize as much as you possibly can. Uh, and so uh, that second part deals with the, the individual personalities and, and artistic visions of the chef and the brewer. And so uh, how do you incorporate hops in food? How do you incorporate carrots in a beer? You know, uh, that's kind of what we're devoted to exploring here. Um, uh, a, a new and in, more engaging food and beer experience. Yeah, and that's uh, that's been Jake's demo from the get-go, which was that food and beer were inextricably linked, that we were, that was always going to be the case. They would always be on the same level. Uh, and, and it's been fun to take it and run with it probably further than I can, I can only hope that further than he imagined. And so um, I, I've learned incredibly, a massive amount of knowledge from the kitchen. Uh, from everyone involved, from the chef to the cooks to the servers, from every single perspective has been really mind-blowing for me. I've, I've never worked in the restaurant industry, and so just kind of seeing even the minutia, the, the boring stuff, if you will, I'm like, well, this is fascinating. I've never cut something like that. Do you feel like modern food, modern beer, all these modern things treat the, the restaurant, everything as more of a team? Than you know, than a place that would just have someone come in and you do the dishes and you make this. Are are you getting a lot of feedback? Are you discussing a lot, like proactively with everyone, or is that just kind of the conversation? Oh, I hope so. I mean, I want to, you know, by and large for me, I tend to come in earlier in the day, and as such, since we're open for dinner service throughout the weekdays, uh, it's fun to just be able to kind of walk back there, chat, share some samples, and kind of you know leech some knowledge off of them as well. Uh, so I, I hope, I, I really do hope, I hope that the that the staff feels like they can contribute in any way, shape, or form. Um, Lord knows I ask him, you know, what's in season, what is tasting good right now. Uh, you know, we've got some of the crew that's really working on some really interesting fermentation products for food and kind of seeing how we can incorporate that. And so, yeah, playing to the best of everyone's abilities has been definitely a big part of this team. Well, when you hire the best people, you know, you want to try to listen to their ideas as much as you possibly can. And and uh, and we're always open to anybody's great idea on how to do something different or do something better or just to improve, you know, the business generally. Uh, we have 45 employees here that um, all kind of offer something different and uh, valuable. Yeah, and I like it. The the vibe, the when you walk in, there, there's always kind of multiple people buzzing around, ready to help you, take you inside, take you outside, take you to the bar. It seems like, is the bar always the thing that fills up first? That's what seems seems to happen. I think that's probably a true statement uh, anywhere. I sit there. <laughs> I sit there all the time. I, I, I tend to work at the bar most days. Yeah, uh, yeah the, the bar does well. Uh, it's a it's a beautiful, like, like aesthetically speaking, uh, yeah, the, the wood's very pretty, and I think the atmosphere the is really pretty The green chairs are so cool. I love that. Yeah, so I, I, it's fun to, you know. Floor's a little uneven, thanks to the concrete settling, but what are you going to do? <laughs> well, Texas. You know, at Brewer's Table 2.0, you can make it mostly bar and change it yeah. up all, all the ways you want. Yeah, I doubt we'll do it in a 70-year-old Quonset hut again, though. <laughs> that, that proves to be pretty challenging. Well, and it, it uh, in a way, it, it kind of reminds me of Loro because they have that open pit also, you know? that yep. They have that feel. They've got you, you can smell a little smoke. You can smell a little fire. you got those flickers. You know, you'll see people... And they'll look over because they're wondering what got bright and someone put some, some extra wood on the fire, breaking down some coals. And you, you're wearing a Franklin hat. You're, you're a friend of Aaron Franklin's, right? Yeah, he's a, he's a good guy. He's been a good friend for a while. 
in fact, this whole place began on a napkin behind his barbecue restaurant. And it's uh, awesome. Yeah, really grateful to him. And our a, first pop-up, we actually kind of that's true overthrew yeah. their territory for a second. Yeah, that was our first debut as a restaurant. Was that Frank? We did a one-night pop-up there when he was closed. It was chaos. It was total chaos because <laughs> people thought Franklin was open or what? No, no, it wasn't that. It just like it was our first time doing it, and it's like, yeah, it was very well attended, and it was. We were it there. was it was a great learning experience, but I mean, it was it was. Can I say shit show? It was yeah. a shit show. Yeah, okay. it was a bit of a shit show. But uh, but Aaron was very generous and let us use the space. And, uh, uh, and yeah, he continues to be a good source of advice to this day. And uh, on the show, we talk a lot about Barbecue Family and Barbecue Fam, hashtag Barbecue Fam. And it's, uh, it's interesting because the the key to entry or the, the, the price for a ticket is just cooking on a fire. But once you kind of make friends with those people, it's like finding lost family. Same thing with the beer community, you know. Yeah, uh, exactly. we, we all kind of share this common, uh, you know, something really mystical about barbecue and cooking over wood. You know, the the combination of smoke and time and patience and attention. Uh, same thing is with beer, and I, I think those two communities are really um, similar in that way. Yeah, I mean, we we wouldn't be half as far for the cost that we've we paid with the beer side of things i mean even wednesday i'm going to go over to beerworks and borrow some lager yeast from them and it's that community that it was no skin off their back was i you know messaged him this morning i was like yeah sure and so i'll bring some tacos we'll call it a day and 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 i i'm eternally grateful for the help of the community i mean you kind of uh any any opportunity that someone reaches out to me, I'll do as much as I can just because it's been so well received. Like, just because I've had so many friends help us out in times of need and just without without even requesting or requiring any payment, unless you buy really expensive hops. That that occasionally <laughs> happens. Yeah, hops is a whole market in itself, right? Oh, for sure. And uh, it's obviously right now with the, the, I mean, it's weird. We say the haze craze, but the whole IPAs have been strong for the last decade for sure. Uh, it's just kind of a mutating form of an IPA. And right now, yeah, people are purchasing and really, I mean, and even the consumer seems more knowledgeable about hops now. So they're paying attention. And so there's always a, a bit of a rush to try to find the, the next hot new thing, um, which I, I think is great. Well, you guys are kind of a hybrid of the two hot things, which is barbecue and beer. You know, beer's been growing since uh, Live Oak moved and all that. And barbecue is just blowing up there's people in dubai buying texas pits and trying to ship wood over there and all that stuff yeah, i think it's one of those episodes of chef's table or something that made this analogy but uh about how every culture does their own version of barbecue yeah exactly uh just cooking over wood you know like that that's barbecue in fact i remember asked uh daniel vaughn the barbecue editor of texas monthly uh was here a little while ago uh and he was writing about our ribs and uh and i, I asked him like like you're here writing about barbecue, does that, I mean, what is barbecue to you? And uh, what defines it in your purview? And he said it was uh, uh, cooking food where wood is a primary influence. And uh, like, okay, well, so does that make us a barbecue restaurant? You know, because everything we cook is cooked over wood. But, uh, and he, he's like, I guess so. Hmm. Uh, so little did I realize we're a barbecue restaurant. We or or that, the def, def, that the definition of barbecue in people's minds is just a little too narrow. To, to brisket and ribs and pulled pork, sure. what's well, going to be? It's kind of like what we were talking about. The outside world wants to say this is the best and fight over what kind of. You say, oh, I don't drink IPAs or I only drink this. But the people that make all this stuff, they want to try everything. We want to drink all the beer and eat all the barbecue. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of this weird thing where, like, once you get into it, you stop caring and you're just like, I, I, sure, I'll go to, 
I'll go to Rudy's just to, to put it up against the barbecue I had last week. Yeah, I have no problems trying anything. And do you guys get to do a lot of experimenting? Or are you, you know, how many beers are you making right now? Like how many taps are running? It's basically constant experimentation. Uh, right now we're kind of uh, at a, I guess, a low volume point, And that's kind of how it goes. There's the ebb and flow to it. And, uh, you know, especially with lager beer, you're kind of trying to think again about six to eight weeks ahead. Yeah, months. So, yeah, definitely getting into the, the month territory. But it's it's a constant experimentation. You know, we've we've definitely talked about do we want flagship beers? And ultimately, yes, like you need to have some something for people to latch on to. But then, you know, most recently we'd done three collaborations in the span of about a month and a half. Wow. And it was just it was good fun. And, you know, so we're actually transferring those right now. And it was constant experimentation. And I think that it's still within the realm of I definitely like to approach it with subtlety, for sure. And so I know that if you see our ingredient list, if you kind of hear about our beers, that it sounds intensely overwhelming, that it sounds like it could easily be amateur hour. Uh, hopefully it's not. <laughs> hopefully it's not. But but it's definitely it, it's fun to try to do subtle hand with some of these very exotic, and if not exotic, then just intense flavors. Um, and so there's still a core where, again, going back to like, this town just loves a good crisp lager. And I, I love that that can be the jumping off point for everyone. It's like, if it's people who don't know what, what good beer is, or if they're not as familiar with beer, it's a great first selection, the, the Vor or the corn lager that we have. And if they do love beer and they're into good light lagers, then it's a great selection for that too. So it, it seems to me to be this kind of focal point of like this, you can sell anyone on this beer. It is the core. And you know speaking of this town austin's blown up in lots of ways but you you guys are this really interesting addition and do you feel like you know you've come from all these different places you could open this place anywhere what well, you feel like austin's a, a great city for it you, you like how people are reacting to it uh i'm not sure we could open it anywhere i think austin is a we're in, in, a, in a unique place in time right now in this city uh, uh culturally and just the way the city's growing and East Austin in particular, uh, I, I think this is the stars aligning for us like perfectly right here and, and right now. I'm not sure if I, if it would work in Memphis or Omaha. Or, maybe not uh, anywhere. Maybe not anywhere. <laughs> uh, but it, it works here and it works now, and uh, and that's what we're really focused on. You know, going back to what Drew was saying about imagination and creativity, uh, that that to me is what I like to see as, as like that is the energy that keeps everyone engaged and interested in being here and being a part of this conversation is like trying something new and having the freedom to do it. Uh, cause if you get stuck in just production mode of, 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 of making what you need to make just to survive and not having a creative outlet. Um, I think you kind of, it's like slowly suffocating, you know, which is tough. Cause it's easy to fall into that rut where it's, yeah, it's comfortable. It's, it frankly ends up being a little bit easier. There's a consistency to it, but then you never really kind of push the envelope. I, like I said, I, I know, like, it's really nice to know what to expect every day if you have a brewing schedule, if you're making the same thing. It's very convenient. I know how to order for that. But then there is something that always keeps you on your toes that's wonderful about changing it up as much as possible. One of the uh, beers that I really love that, that, that Drew did last uh, two years ago when we were doing our pop-ups it was the, the the base beer was this green tomato and basil beer, the one that's brewing again this week, and uh, and we made ice cubes, and the ice cubes were made of fermented watermelon juice, and a little bit of chilies, and some fish sauce, and uh, um, something else in there. Anyway, we 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 served this uh, 
uh, green tomato and basil beer over ice cubes made of fermented watermelon juice and chilies. And uh, and so it, it, it started off as one flavor and in the hot 110 degree day morphed into a whole second flavor while never getting watered down, just sort of, it, it was, it was beer as time, you know, basically. It was fascinating. Uh, I, I can't wait to get that again this that summer. That was like a time-release Bloody Mary. Yeah. Yeah, was, was that like a sour or? No. No, no, it was just, again, um, a bit more of a hop-forward lager, um, but we used kind of, the, the basil comes through really beautifully. There's a, a shared hop oil that basil has, eugenol, that gets you some of this characteristic that comes through to the, the final product. And so that pop, and then we used it in conjunction with Citra, which is just, it's, it's a hop that people are becoming very familiar with because it is just a punch of citrus. And so it was really neat to have this uh, hop forward and familiar flavors, but very confusing to people's palate and in a good way. They just couldn't quite put their finger on it. Do you ever just like wake up, look in the mirror and be like, I'm doing the most fun, crazy thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And then he does inventory. (laughs) Oh, it's a blast. Like coming from production, I love it. Like I said, the the learning experience of brewing the same thing, of brewing Hefeweizen a thousand times and tasting every single can, well, not every single can, but every time a canning run happens, tasting it every single time. Uh, it's incredible because you make the small tweaks and you are acutely aware of what's different. Well, everyone else has no idea that anything's changed at all, uh, and it's just fine-tuning. And then the flip side, again, being this incredibly experimental environment where it's fun to just not really care what the starting gravity is, to, to a degree, to, to be able to make a beer and be like, all right, that'll do. And again, it's it's not sacrificing quality. Uh, it's not a sacrifice of, of um, uh, whatever's easy, but it's just a super fun, very relaxed, like, oh, just kind of get to do whatever to do. just make sure that liquid flows out of the magic sticks that's the important thing <laughs> well forgive my well uh, my ignorance but when you say it doesn't matter the gravity so you're talking about almost like the density of the wart when you're beginning? yeah so just yeah the starting sugar content that will ultimately determine the the alcohol content that ultimately determines how the beer finishes and so again i i say that not that it you know if i if i intended for a beer to ultimately result in five percent abv and it's ten percent yeah i screwed up that's huge yeah. but if it's a you know a matter of like a percent here and there as the 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 finishing gravity then i, I really am not concerned with that i don't need to be yeah and it's, it must be nice to just to have that wiggle room but do you guys uh do you guys have any other plans are you kind of at capacity right now and you're just running plays the way you are or i I know you know spring and summer are are hot and exciting in austin so you probably have to up the production just for the amount of beer people want certainly yeah for sure i mean we are we're we're stacked up right now and it's a fun place to be and especially coming up on a year where like i said we can look back at the the brewing schedule and see what was seasonal prepare for it and then, you know, we, we always kind of knew that it was going to be, a, you know, a slow ramp up. And the next big step being starting to pull in some fun barrel projects, you know, because we have obviously we have all this uh, these uh, fooders and a lot of room for fermentation, but we could use more. And some of these longer term projects, uh, one of the ones that we've been excited and, you know, kind of sitting on until the, the right time is, you know, we brewed uh, the center fooder that was a 15 barrel is called Sawyer after Jake's son. Nice. And so uh, last July, we brewed this kind of digestive sort of inspired stout beer um, and then added chamomile and cardamom. And it's been in there since July. And it's just the flavor is intensifying. Uh, it was a heavy toast fooder. So it gets closer to some of those uh, whiskey barrel characteristics. So a little more vanilla, a little more coconut. And 
uh, and so it was also rinsed with bourbon, so that's new too. And um, it's one of those beers that I, I would love to see more long-term projects. Uh, whenever you see that, there's something, knowing how much time went into it, maybe it's more personal uh, from a brewing side, but just knowing how much time went into making that and knowing that you're sitting, you know, the same thing with, with any old wine, with any old alcohol, uh, alcohol spirit, whatever it is. Um, or even, yeah, hell, I mean, like a dry-aged rib, something like that where you know how much time went into it, and this is an incredibly unique thing. It can't be reproduced, essentially. Um, and I, I'd like to see a lot more of those in the long term. Uh, do you guys, like, did, did you start by reading books? Is this just all you're, you're kind of tasting over however long you've been creating? Well, or? Drew reads a lot more books than I do. Uh, uh, um when I when I learned how to brew, it was sort of like by feel, you know, which isn't the smart way to do it. Uh, I'm probably more of a of a of a chef than a uh, baker, if you will, you know. Uh, but it's important to 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 know. Beer is such a a deep area of knowledge, you know. It, it just knowing the, the flavors and what can come of by what what you use, what can come of it, then understanding why it happens is a whole different like level of 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 knowledge and uh and it's important to have both and that steam beer is made a little differently right at anchor steam well uh i'll let drew say how, how it may be different but we, we can't call it a steam beer so it's it's a common lager steam's a trademark term so oh, um uh but it, it it is i i didn't want to i very purposefully didn't want to give drew too much direction in the in how to take the the brewing um uh experience here but one thing i did ask is to have a tribute to the the company that founded my career basically anchor and you know and and really the american beer culture generally um dance with who brung you i guess you know and so we we do our own tribute to that because that is like i think one of the most unique american beer styles you can you can make and, and we make it in a really traditional way in in a in uh you know wooden fooders it takes about two months to make that's kind of how i picture the finest brewery in san francisco in like 1870 would have done it you know in the perfect weather that's what that design that's that's what the room that they're in is designed to mimic uh and so that's the only beer we kind of have on tap all the time that in the uh corn lager except for today yeah as it turns out (laughs) well and uh it's almost it's such a cool room and you almost expect it to be like aging cheese or steaks or something so it's really unique to have all those wooden fooders and and all that equipment in there do you guys if people come by, can they take a peek in there? You guys give little tours, or we show plenty of people around there, but we don't really have like, you know, the building is isn't doesn't lend itself well to giving a traditional brewery tour for sure. Uh, but we're, we're always happy to show interested persons in there if there's not a cool ship fermentation happening, which there is today. Yeah. Let the nerds in. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's important to have people buy into what you're doing, and totally. a few things get that point across better than sticking your head into a fooder. And, you know, fortunately, having the, the glass panels that actually look into the, the fooder room were a huge part of see what's happening, look at it. And I always love making sure servers are aware that those booths right next to the cool ships, you know, just peek down in there. It's two feet away from you. Uh, and I think the first time that people see an active fermentation like that is, is very shocking. It's, it's not something you're used to seeing. For sure. uh, and for me, it's hypnotic. I just stare at it every day. And so for those who don't know, a cool ship is basically a, a large container that's open air fermenting the, the beer? So, yeah, I mean, we, so the, the terminology kind of gets muddled here, but we do open fermentations in them. The traditional cool ship, the idea is that after you've done your boil, 
you send the hot wort back to a cool ship, which is a shallow, large metal pan that ends up uh, helping chill out the beer. You kind of expand that surface area. And then in the traditional sense of the cool ship, yeah, you leave it outside uh, or you open louvered windows in a specific room and uh, you let the ambient yeast and bacteria for a minute. For our case, we are not using it as a cool ship per se, but as open fermenters. And so the, it, it's a different characteristic that you get out of the yeast um, and, and it's just gorgeous. It's uh, the same well. way the Anchor makes steam beer to this day. Right. Uh, and Sierra Nevada uses it for their pale ale at their Chico location. It's just super traditional. Um, and luckily, you know, when you have all that wort open to the air, you increase the risk of any sort of infection uh, from a bad bacteria or yeast you don't want to necessarily invite to the party. But the, uh, the temperature in that room kind of keeps those um, critters at bay. And so while they're there, they don't have a chance to grow and develop. And we rely on out competition for, for everything, which is to say that there's yeast and bacteria everywhere absolutely everywhere and that room is riddled with it just as much as the outsider is too and so the big thing is pitching our lager yeast making sure it's healthy and so that that's always the the number one thing on my mind is making sure that you have a healthy pitch of lager yeast uh, and then pay attention do the right things just take care of the uh, the ins and outs and be sanitary nice well and uh you know i was here with some friends uh, a few weeks back and uh this kind of relates to sanitary but it's a little different uh, you know, you have these big shareable plates. You have these things that kind of can feed two, three, four people. Uh, what made you decide to kind of create a menu like that rather than just putting a plate in front of each person? Well, uh, we we do have uh, dishes that are you know more and more as you described, but there's something really communal about the beer and food experience where it just kind of it seems to lend itself towards sharing. The idea of sharing a pitcher and a whole plate of food. Uh, someone serving someone else besides us just serving you, I, I think is a really uh, uh, a nice uh, uh, nod towards community. And also, the, 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 you put more food on one plate, you don't have to, You can have less plates, and it you know, helps out with labor. And <laughs> there's, a, there's some plus sides in terms of the, of the logistics. Uh, but uh, it just, to me, shows community. Yeah, you, you kind of work in the science for uh, efficiency and for com- communality. You got to be efficient in this business. You know, you got to try to do as much as you can with as with what you have. You know, it's uh, it's a tough business. Well, and, and it must feel nice to see everyone come in and just want to share, want to try each other's beers. I mean, uh, almost every time I'm here, everyone gets a different beer, and we're always kind of passing them around the table. And, and, and there is something to, you know, uh, th- this place almost feels just like a pub, but it, it's it's got such high end food and so many well thought out beers but you, it doesn't feel that way it doesn't feel like this place where you have to like dress a certain way or do a certain thing you can just come in and enjoy the food and well you know it's it's interesting uh, you know to hear that experience uh, you know Drew and I have been here since you know construction began and and so what we see is something different than the customer sees as they come in and uh, you know the vast majority of our customers you know some 3 and 5 are first time customers and then uh, the rest are repeat customers. And so we, we make these first impressions every single day. And when you go into our dining room uh, and, and, you know, look on the inside, it's very pretty. It's very well put together. You know, like the, our architect did an amazing job at creating a beautiful space. The outside re- is rather austere. And, uh, you know, it doesn't, it, you can't really tell what you're going to experience on the inside. But something that we're really conscious of and trying to focus on is not making our experience too precious. 
that that it is just a beer and food experience. It's just one that's a bit more you know nuanced and detailed. Uh, but it's it's not an expensive place. Um, it's not unaffordable. It's not a special occasion place. We are a neighborhood restaurant and brewery. Uh, in the great tradition of, of neighborhood restaurants and breweries, and uh, uh, one that just happens to be a little bit prettier than most, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> well, and and there's families here, and there's kind of this area where kids play, and and it's just it feels like family here, and it's really interesting because you didn't have to do that, but you, you just kind of opened it with open arms. Well, I uh, uh, that's a little bit selfish on my end of things. I'm a single parent of a four-year-old little boy, and he's here with me every day, and so uh, I, I wanted to have a place for him to be entertained because he's here a lot. Uh, and secondly, uh, families are the the backbone of, of, of this town. Uh, as, as, I, as I see it, foodies or beer nerds, you know, that... Uh, they will go on to the flashy new penny, you know, as soon as we're not it anymore. You know, that's just kind of the reality of the world. Uh, but families, if you, if you can make yourself a family-friendly destination where they, they know they can have a, a reliably good time inexpensively uh, with plenty of room for kids to run around, um, I, I think that that customer base will prove to be very loyal and very important to us. And so we have 6,000 square feet outside and we have like uh, all these kids' toys. Um, you know, uh, we, we do a lot of family-friendly activities here so you can bring your dogs bring your kids um, and uh, enjoy a very a very inexpensive experience outside uh, and then have a, a very different experience inside a lot of fun yeah it's actually funny because in this at this table right behind us I was talking to Brian Furman uh, when Matt Horn was doing the whole pop-up and he is you know he has restaurants in uh, in Georgia and there's actually a benefit for him this weekend at Truth Barbecue because one of his restaurants caught fire. But he was saying, I asked him, you know, well, how do you choose these towns? You know, you're kind of you're, you're moving to a lot of different places. And he said, I want families. I don't want to be where all the tech people are. I don't want to be where all the young people are. I want to be where the families are mm -hmm. because community drives business. And he wanted to, to provide something for a community because they, they come back. It's not like the people that are just going for whatever's hot and new. Although you guys are pretty hot and new also. Well, we're almost a year old uh, and rocking and rolling. We're at, we're at full steam right now. Uh, it's a really good thing. Very, very lucky. But yeah, I, I love it when I see kids running around here and uh, and dogs. Yeah, that's a good time. As long as they pick up after each other. <laughs> we close every show asking, you know, the of the barbecue family or, or kind of the the people out there, whether they're backyard cooks, they're in a restaurant listening right now, they're they're smoking a 500 gallon pit. Uh, What's your message to the enthusiasts, the people that are out there, you know, maybe they're five years behind what y'all are doing, but they want to do, a, they want to brew beer, they want to cook barbecue, they might want to do both. Go first. Go for it. Uh, what's the message to someone that wants to go pro? Is that your question? Well, just like the enthusiasts, whether or not oh. they're going to go pro, just oh. someone who loves... Keep the enthusiasm going? Well, uh, I, I would say to always think of, of a new way you can do something old, you know, um... If there's something that you're really passionate about, say, cooking brisket, well, what is it you can do to, to do that differently than anybody else does it? Uh, I, I think a great example of that is Evan Leroy at Leroy & Lewis uh, doing some really creative, um, di different, he calls it new school barbecue. I, I, think, I think that's a really good example of it. And, and two, uh, in addition to, to imagination, uh, discipline and the discipline to, uh, to pursue it. 
For me, I, I ended up getting into the brewing industry, ultimately, of course, as a hobby, uh, because I enjoyed it. But the final step for me was that when I realized I had always been terrified of failing at things, that that was the biggest thing holding me back. And so ultimately what it became was like, how do you actually fail at it? Is if you, one, do it and then don't do it better the next time or don't attempt to make it better the next time or two, don't do it at all. And I found myself doing the, the latter rather than even a, giving it a shot. And so the biggest thing being just do it and then attempt to make it better the next time. Um, the, as long as you keep going at it, uh, then you cannot fail. And I know that it kind of gets into hokey territory, but really, really, truly understanding that, like, start that project. Like, I mean, even for me, like, the one of the, my favorite aspects about this place is that my home cooking has elevated immensely so in the last year. Uh, and it's been fun to start these fermentation projects. It's like, why haven't I done that before? So I've got vinegar making at home. I've got kefir at home. I, I, just doing all these different fermentations. And it's great to be able to now take that back and in, incorporate it into the brewery. So just try something new. And then if it if it goes to hell the first time, do it again. Yeah, Do it 10 or 15 times exactly. before you quit. You, you kind of have to be honest with yourself. You have to you have to just say I might totally screw this up, but Absolutely. I'm gonna try my hardest. Oh God, I've screwed so many things up. Yeah, and now with books and YouTube and everything, there's there's not really a, a way you can lose. We are definitely mistake rich, you know. <laughs> uh, I, 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 was it was it Einstein or who knows who ever said that uh, uh, an expert is someone who's made every possible mistake, you know? And uh, and we're slowly but surely becoming experts. <laughs> <laughs> so many mistakes. <laughs> Well, I, I like uh, trying everything that y'all are doing, whether you consider it a mistake or a win, because it's it's really, it's just an experience coming out here. And just sitting, I'm like, when can I come here again? Well, we like, open at 5 o'clock. Actually, say. I'm sorry, 4. Uh, I'm, I'm going to bring my buddy Max, who actually used to work at Franklin, because uh, he really wants to eat here, and he's only got a few days left before he moves to New York. So I, I'm excited to uh, I'm excited to try y'all's food tonight or tomorrow. Well, thank you for coming out. I really appreciate yeah, your you interest. Much, hey, thanks for having me, and thanks for... You know, being the mad scientist y'all are, I, uh, I I truly love this place, and you guys are great to give a give me even you know twenty minutes of your time. So thanks for taking all the time, guys. I got jaws like a bear trap, a teeth like a razor. I made tack tongue with a sensitive taster. I was born out in Texas called the land of beef. Never catch a muscle greener, showing the hell that I can meet him to meet, man. Y'all ought to see me eat, man. Woo!